All right, we have two pre-orders at least at the minimum of Nat's new book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, New York Times. <laughs> first off, congrats to Nat for the book Crypto Confidential, right? Title. Yep, Crypto Confidential. It's up for pre-order now. Up for pre-order. So, yeah, shameless chill on this podcast, but we will definitely be covering that book when it comes out. Yeah, the, um, unfortunately, anybody who pre-orders right now has to wait eight long months until it comes <laughs> out. So, got a got a nice long pre-order window going for it. The good news, though, is that gives us eight months to hit a bull run right in time Dude, for the book. So it's already it's already starting. The, it's starting. The, but... air, the airdrops have begun. The <laughs> the DGen coins are starting to run. You got bonk over a billion dollars. Like the <laughs> the fun is there for those who are looking for it. <laughs> you know what's so funny is i've been seeing on uh on twitter like so many people being like i won't fall for it this time like for these like <laughs> shit coins and stuff and i <laughs> i'm thinking that i've been thinking that too i'm like no way i'm falling for it this time and then i could like totally see myself falling for like something <clears throat> that isn't the exact same thing as last time it's like it's like pitched slightly differently <laughs> And oh, I'm like, yeah, of course it makes sense that you can make $200 a day taking a walk. Like, yeah, that makes total <laughs> sense. It's it's oh, crypto, yeah, man. Stepping. Did you guys see uh, the Solana phone ran out of stock and is going for about $5,000 on eBay? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get airdrops if you have the Solana phone, apparently. So it's an investment. <laughs> That's why Neil picked one up. <laughs> yeah, I have, that's my christmas present to myself no <laughs> was that was i telling you guys about the ai coins last time we started talking about that a little bit we, we were catching up it. yeah yeah oh yeah that's, that's gonna be the that's gonna be the silly narrative this time around or at least one of them so can we figure out what exactly makes it an ai coin was it <laughs> it's a it's a distributed large language model running on the blockchain a deal stop asking questions <laughs> no it's ai you, shut up you stake your tau tokens and you get more tau tokens and the tau token powers the artificially intelligent internet uh, something not alone ai girlfriends it's gonna be great <laughs> there's a theory that i don't i haven't like really dug into i've only seen like some tweets about it but i i think i've saved a few articles that i want to dig into which is it's actually like like at least the tweet like a thread made made it make a lot of sense was um like in a world where like let's say uh ai compute becomes like pretty distributed and universal intelligence might not be like a limiting variable but like humanity needs like some limiting variable which probably probably is like ultimately energy which is obviously what we're going to talk about in the episode today but like a digital scarce variable also is going to be necessary and that was like a good argument for i think the person's making the argument for uh eth and bitcoin basically as like the as like that digital scarce variable with eth being like the compute layer and bitcoin being like a layer below eth essentially What, what is a digital scarce variable like where let's say dollars are like not really that scarce or like or i think it was tied also to like the proof of work being needed as like a base layer i don't fully understand it but it was essentially like the difference between proof of work proof of stake you can't really build the kind of like app ecosystem that solana and eth have on a proof of work blockchain but at the end of the day they were saying like whenever there's like any kind of run or like people going like um crash or like bear market people do consolidate into Bitcoin because it's like a little bit more of a solid 
currency as opposed mm-hmm. to like an Ether or Solana. So it's almost like your backstop. And then like ETH and Solana. Well, they, this person was making the argument of ETH over Solana. I don't, I don't know necessarily enough of the nuances between the two, but they're saying then ETH is kind of like your build layer on top of that. Because basically like Bitcoin isn't capable of that, of what ETH can do essentially. I think it would be that Bitcoin would be money and ETH would be... Exactly. Computer. That was the argument they were making yeah. essentially. Yeah. Like you would, like money is like those not are basically what you build be the on two top most of. valuable resources like in yeah. the future outside yeah. of energy are going to be, yeah. yeah. Like you're still... Well, and then, okay, so and, that was the argument on the proof of work side is that it's tied to energy. So it's actually linked to the actual scarce variable. Like... Basically, it's the mm, yeah, it's the thing that point. has like the base level link to what is actually the the uh, the scarce variable. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's like a con. It's way above my head, but like at least the thread was interesting. Yeah. Can you? Do you still have that? Yeah, I think I bookmarked it. I can find it. Okay. Yeah, I think I understood like one third of what you were describing. So I'd be keen to. Well, I think Nat has made a similar argument up. in the past. Yeah. Uh, I think it wasn't like exactly not what you've said. I think even on the podcast before, but just like, like you're kind of like a big Ethan Bitcoin believer. I, yeah, I mean, I I definitely feel like like those two both have like pretty clear use cases now. Of you know, like Bitcoin is clearly money, and I think ETH is clearly the best solution for a like distributed computing network. And then everything else, I feel like, still needs to. Every other layer one still needs to justify itself in some capacity. Like right? why like, does it exist, basically? Yeah, like there's a lot of cool stuff going on on Solana, but you can also do all of that with like ETH layer twos. And like you get a lot more flexibility. And wow, how am I forgetting this word? When you can move it between places. <laughs> I'll use interoperability. Interoperability, right? like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not exactly what I'm looking for. but And safety for like a lot of the other... Alt L ones, right? Like Avalanche and Sui and whatnot. Like the tokens are going to probably go up. I just don't. It'll be interesting to see how they justify long term use cases in a in an L two dominated world. Yeah, because you frankly just probably don't need like ten L ones. Well, and it's worse, right? <laughs> That'd be like having ten different HTTPs or something, right? Mm-hmm. Or like ten ten different major like card processing companies right like we sort of forget that like visa and mastercard and amex are like different rails but like ima- imagine if like when you went to check out you had to use like a different machine almost for- yeah <laughs> <laughs> at, at that point you have an l0 world yeah exactly <laughs> anyway should we talk about shamil yeah, yeah how the world really works how the world how the world really, really works, works. I feel like this is our last book. Like this covered everything. Yeah. <laughs> Show's over, folks. <laughs> we figured out how the world works in 200 pages and seven chapters. <laughs> Concepts in the book were good. This is obviously not the first uh, Vaclav Smil book we're covering. We did Energy and Civilization, which I think was a better book overall than, yeah. than this one. But it, That's been like a like, pod favorite, oft-referenced yeah. episode. Can you guys, so I haven't read Energy and Civilization, but we also did Where's My Flying Car and this book. If you guys were like drawing the Venn diagram of the three books and telling me what order to read them in, what would be the, what's like the one liner for each and what order should I pick it up? Okay. So Where's My Flying Car is probably the most accessible one. Although this is pretty accessible too. So one of these two first, 
Energy and civilization, though, provides a good baseline understanding, I think, of what's talked about in Where's My Flying Car. Yeah, I, I would say, I, I honestly, I wouldn't recommend this book, really. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, even for the even for people who need to know some of the stuff that's in it, I don't think it's like, I don't know, this, this sounds meaner than I, I mean it to. It's just like, <laughs> it's not interesting enough to like pull you through some of the details, you know? Like there's good information in here, but I, I would I don't think I would have finished it unless we were like reading it for the show, just because it's almost like too shallow. It's trying to do too much yeah. too lightly. Where like I would have you know what I'd actually prefer? I'd like like a podcast on this of like him doing a two or three hour mm. interview and he could have covered all <laughs> this material in a really good podcast interview, and that would have been like the perfect medium for this like level of detail. What I, I would say is like if you have somebody who is of the mindset that we should be conserving energy, right. That we like should use less energy, probably like start them with flying car. Yes. And then if in the course of reading flying car, they're like, they're like, man, I still don't get how using more energy, even like using more fossil fuels could be good for society. Like then go read energy and civilization. Mm -hmm. Or, or I think if there's a lot of people who don't understand the scale, I think like for energy and civilization, that was my biggest takeaway is just the scale of how much and where our energy comes from and like how much is involved. Mm. Like Nat, there was, there was one section of that book where they were talking about the Canadian like shale oil and from like one uh, site. I don't remember this. Oh, okay. It was like one site. It was like talking about the production from one site. And we were like okay. in awe at the number of barrels per day that, it was producing uh, and then we yeah, were, but we didn't realize there. it was per day. And then at one point in the episode, we're like, wait, is this a per day metric? Like, <laughs> What is involved in transporting all of that oil to like a refinery and like yeah. the output coming out of those refineries, like the, the, the number of like intricate uh, steps involved mm-hmm. in like our energy production is just mind boggling. Mm-hmm. And it makes you really not take for granted the fact that you can take a hot shower or like turn on the light switch and like, you get electricity. It's like not a trivial thing, even though we have taken it for granted, I think for a long time. There are three parts of this book that I wish they were as like standalone essays, or you could just buy them for like a buck and just read those. Maybe they're covered in energy and civilization, but the first was the four like foundational products of civilization, steel, concrete, ammonia, and plastics. Like where's my flying car touched a bit on this, but I think yeah, that was one that I picked up more of the surface area from this book. And then the rest I had to do the Googling because it was a little bit superficial. The second one was around the amount of crude oil in milliliters per pound of. Yeah, that was, oh, that pretty was cool. That was really cool. Yeah, that I really awesome. like that. That was like my favorite part of the book, I think. Same. That should just be yeah. an essay. Like you can access it via URL. You don't need to pay anything. Everyone should read that. We should definitely talk about that. And the last one in the notes, I have this titled as we've done quite well, just progress across different domains because we've gotten so much better with creating energy. So he talks about like hunger, food production, recycling, steel, water consumption, greening. Uh, I didn't even, I didn't know most of those things because the narrative is doom and gloom. Like those three are standalone. Maybe those are the three we should talk about. This could be the podcast. And those are, those are high on my list too. We, we should have asked people to try to guess what the four most important <laughs> uh, manufactured substances are to civilization. Because I, I don't think I would have guessed all four of them. Like, I wouldn't have gotten ammonia. I think I would have gotten the other three. But ammonia, I had no idea. 
I would have gotten steel and concrete. What's the last one? Plastics. Plastics. Oh, plastics. Yeah, I guess I could see that. It's also interesting how a lot of this stuff, like play, like there, all these variables are so linked. Like if we didn't have plastics and we were shipping everything in glass or packaging everything in glass or metal, I think the thing that like it sounds really nice, like oh, let's get rid of plastics, and like that's probably. I mean, maybe there's a good uh, reason. I mean, there's definitely good reasons for that for sure. But then think about like shipping costs of like all yeah. that glass and metal stuff, and which is ultimately obviously crude oil dependent as well. And then the other thing that it's also affecting is um, the cost of, let's say, if you're using metals, mining those metals and like forming them or, you know, into the shapes that you want and that uses energy. So there's a lot that's like at there's like a lot of interplay between all these uh, different materials. The other thing which I was speaking about plastics for a sec that I learned, I think, from this book, I don't think I knew that before that section was I didn't realize plastic is basically like it's so cheap because it's basically a waste product of crude oil refining. So like that's like pretty mine. Like that's why plastic is as cheap as it is. Hmm. It comes from the mining, the the refining process. I didn't realize that it was a waste product. Yeah. Yeah. Like the raw material of it is that's why it's like literally they can sell it for whatever price that a company will do that. That's why you can like, I mean, that's why plastic packaging, like when you get an Amazon box is just like, thrown yeah. in there like you'll be buying a book and it'll be shipped it. in a box yeah. of bubble wrap <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah. the material stuff was really cool that i will say like the s like if this was an essay form i i think the like energy and material stuff would be a lot more accessible to people who do need to read it like the um i remember when we were talking about this book or chatting about it earlier like the one of the the like biggest things for me was the people who need to read this book definitely won't pick it up. It's like very easy to say like, oh, we should switch all of our energy to like solar and wind. But you don't the, the like, it's really hard to know where to start explaining to somebody why that's not correct. Um, yeah. And I think the energy section was pretty good at that. It wasn't deep enough, I think, in in my opinion, but like it was very essay, essay, like to your point, if you could just sell the, or use this as just an essay, it would be great. Yeah. So Maybe useful. Let's cover the high level of yep. his thing. I was debating reading. He has that epic quote on wind turbines, but we can put that put a pin in that uh, and come back. The, his overarching point is that decarbonization, unwinding everything that is based on crude oil, would be nigh impossible, largely due to the four products on which modern civilization is built, which are steel, concrete ammonia and plastics and this is basically how you build stuff how you feed people how you move things around because we're so disembodied from how things are built and made and moved and how people are fed we are able to indulge in things that are not necessarily realistic in terms of decarbonization that i would say is probably the high level theme of this book if i was going to put it in two sentences i don't know if you guys would add anything to that yeah, I think the only other thing I'd add is like uh, his comments about tech, like how tech is a little bit disembodied from the realities of the real world. Yeah. And also that we're not like not enough smart people are going into like the industries that actually affect our day to day quality of life. The proverbial best minds do not go into soil science and do not try their hand at making better cement. Instead, they are attracted to dealing with disembodied information. It's a good quote. Yeah, I wonder if that's going to change. Like, what, what has to happen? Um, 
for like I, more people who would go work at OpenAI to go work in like ag science. Because it have, have to be like a serious food shortage risk, right? Like, have you guys looked at all the stuff on like soil health in the U.S.? Oh yeah, well, I mean, we covered some of it, and then I oh, that's right, we talked about it a bit in of that. And, yeah, and then I did a bit more yeah, yeah. in uh, outside the system. Yeah, dude, it's like. It, it, it has really gotten a lot worse it's and it really actually bad. gets worse. Yeah. It gets worse. The more fertilizer you use too, which was one of the materials, obviously. So you're kind of like, I don't know. It's like a, this book did present an interesting dilemma though, it, of like there are. So in those episodes and like those books that I was covering, they talk a lot about how like native Americans and like uh, tribal societies have handled soil soil health and it's like a lot more yeah. sustainable for the long term. The double edge that they brought up and that he brought up in this book is like at our current population, is it even possible to feed that many people? And I guess like the argument is it wouldn't be there wouldn't even be this many people if we were relying on yeah. traditional methods of agriculture. So yeah. it's a I don't know. It, there is actually a dile- like it is a big uh, yeah. dilemma. It's like the whole fetishization of the like hunter gatherer lifestyle. It's like, if only we could turn back the clock, it's like, okay, well, which 80% of us are you going to choose to die when we can't sustain that population level? Well, it's actually kind of this weird, I think we've almost had like this odd flip where historically, this is going to sound bad, but I think it's also true. Like historically, the poor, the poorer parts of society would like starve to death. And now I think it's just flipping to the opposite where the poor parts of society will naturally become overweight because they're eating nutritionally deficient food. And so in the U S or Western world. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. It's like that we're not, I don't think to Smill's point, you could reasonably sustain 10 billion people on like regenerative agriculture. Right. Yeah. I don't think like, it seems like the, fertilizers are here to stay so most people are going to be eating like nutrient deficient food even if there is like enough food i mean it definitely seems that way yeah like i i'd love to be wrong about that but yeah it seemed from at least how he was presenting it and what i have previously read about the regenerative ag stuff it's like it's also like a multi-decade project yeah to even start to really restore it. I mean, the percentage has gone up in the US of uh, of uh, regeneratively farmed land, but it takes a long time to actually regenerate that soil. Yeah. It's not like, a, it's not like oh, like we'll switch this year. It's like, you can switch this year. You might see the payoff in like 10 to 15 years. Hmm. It's like a multi-generation thing. There was a good uh, Joe Rogan episode about white oak farms, I think is the name white of it. White oak pastures. Yeah. White yeah. oak pastures. Yeah. Yep. They talked about that and they talked about actually they had a, a decline in revenue and yield for the first, I think, five or six years after they made the switch. Yeah. Which is like not easy for a farmer who's, you know, got a lot of debt payments and like, I mean, definitely totally. a big company would not do that, right? To like take a five, six year dump in revenue. <laughs> the the uh, management would be out, right? If that if that happened. So they a big company would never do it. And a family farm like largely probably can't afford to do it. So there's probably only a very limited subset that could even do it. And then is it even possible on a large scale to still get the same output? I think it's still even an open question. I wasn't I didn't realize that the nutrition deficiency caused by fertilizers and then the weight gain were actually related. Because the weight gain seems to be a Western phenomenon. So it likely has to do with what is actually in the cheapest sources of food. 
Whereas if it was purely a nutritional density thing, then you would probably see it everywhere, right? Like what, what is the link there? The link is that your body is so hungry because it hasn't gotten the nutrients that it needs. So you're like eating more, let's say you're eating like, yeah. I don't know, 2000 calories, let's say would be historically enough to get all the nutrients you need. And now because the percentage on a like mm. per cal, like nutrient per calorie basis has gone down, you now need like 3000 calories of food to actually so that, hit it's the actually, nutrients you need. It's almost like independent of income. It's like you could basically shop at a Whole Foods. Well, maybe not a Whole Foods, but everything up till and still have this problem. Yeah. I mean, totally. the, the stats on it are pretty crazy for like a lot of non-organic food where like most yeah. fruit and vegetables have like a third or a quarter of the nutrient density they had a hundred yeah. years ago. Yeah, I mean, we're like, we were talking about this in uh, what your food ate with regards to like, yeah. like the difference between yeah, um, yeah. real tomato and then an American tomato is just they're two different. It was like six X or something for tomatoes. Wasn't it something crazy? The second you slice a tomato open, you're like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, this is a styrofoam tomato. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and also like the thing about farmed salmon versus like wild salmon. Yeah, how, like, yeah. Farmed salmon had less omega threes, fatty acid or something. Yeah, yeah and farmed yeah. salmon didn't even have the same amount of omega threes as uh, as a, a grass fed steak. Like it was yeah. in grass fed steaks, not you're not eating that for the omega threes, but it was like higher in the omega three category even than a, a serving of farm raised salmon. Yeah, but this is definitely a preferable problem to have. I don't think there's any question starvation, about starvation for sure. It, yeah. When once it becomes yeah well definitely against that and once it becomes sufficiently of an expensive problem then government will be more invested in solving it like the stats in the book from the UN Food and Agriculture Organization are pretty wild I'll read the quote continued improvements do, 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 lowered the rate of undernourished people to 8.9 percent by 2019 which means that rising food production reduced the malnutrition rate from two in three people in 1950 to 1 in 11 in 2019. The steep reduction in global undernutrition means that in 1950, the world was able to supply adequate food to about 890 million people, but by 2019, that had risen to 7 billion, a nearly eightfold increase in absolute terms. That's insane. Like feeding a lot of people. Yeah. Malthusian guys are not... <laughs> their predictions are not doing well. Not paying yeah. out, yeah. Yeah, that that was the one thing that I took like some issue with with Smell is like he's so, and this is kind of like I felt so flying car too, where it's like just overly focused on like tech solving all these problems, hmm. right? Like it just, just his his perspective that like we need more fertilizer, we need to be like fertilizing everything. It's like the only way for us to keep the population going. It's like okay, but we're clearly running into problems with that yeah. too, right? Like. If we don't figure out a better solution than the current fertilizer one, like we could just like destroy all of the cropland in the world, right? Like, yeah, bet the house. Yeah, exactly. How does China do it? Because if I recall, China I mean, imports a lot of their food. It's also big. They've got a lot more cropland to destroy. But, yeah, but China also imports a ton of food. They have really from- good topsoil. Like I remember from the other book, it was compared to a few inches across. U.S. farmland, like Chinese, it was like a foot or more. It was like these crazy differences. Yeah. Today, China imports... China does produce one-fourth of the world's grain, but they're a net importer of food. They import more of soybeans, corn, wheat, rice, and dairy products than any other country. 
the country's food self-sufficiency ratio decreased from 93.6% in 2000 to 65% in 2020 of like how much of their own food that they produce. Hmm. It says a lot of this is driven by China's increased uh, wealth. So they're buying, they're not eating like staples the way they were probably before. They're probably eating more meat and like, yeah. I wonder if they like had better soil from something they were doing historically, you know, like you, you just said they import a lot of soybeans, but that was one of the things that was interesting. Was it in this book? I think it was in this book. And it was in what your food ate that like planting soybeans actually increases soil health. Yeah. So like one of the it's keys a, of good it's rotational legume, farming, right? it can be, it's like nitrogen fixing. Yeah. 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 So you don't need fertilizers as much for legumes or right. at all, really. The other thing that he didn't talk about in this, but like is interesting to think about that ties to this is the, um, like the glyphosate, glyphosate mm-hmm. discussion or like pesticides yeah. in general. Yeah. He didn't really touch on that at all. No. Like, and that's, that's, another pretty serious impending issue i feel <laughs> yeah i suppose they're probably not related to crude oil production that was his theme for everything else he did touch on yeah oh, that's yeah true. that's, that's true. probably true yeah yeah, yeah. it's sort of like a separate food industry i, I think glyphosate too bad you can't like buy stock in this idea but i wonder what like the <laughs> derivative play is i've started to see it on some foods like some yeah, companies will glyphosate list glyphosate free, free. yeah like certified wow. glyphosate free it's like I think it's like two years before it blows up like mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you could like try to... Sh- Does Monsanto trade publicly? You could short Monsanto stock. They're owned by Bear, which is publicly mm. traded. No, they're on the New York Stock Exchange. As a separate company? Says Monsanto company. I don't know why. Maybe Bear renamed themselves to Monsanto. Like maybe Monsanto is like... Oh, maybe. Known. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's like becoming more known. Like you see more people talking about it. Dude, that was like one of my my, my worst investing decisions. Although I, I stand by my reasoning. When I wrote the article about Oli, somebody <laughs> messaged me and they were like, oh, if you really believe this, you should like open a short position against Oatly Because like your stock should go well. down if you're right. And my, my response was, no, I'm not going to do that because even though I, I think I'm right, I think people are still stupid. And so they're going to keep buying and drinking it. Kind of like, <laughs> like if, if, you had, if you had shorted McDonald's because you thought it was unhealthy, right? Like you would have done yeah. really poorly. Yeah. And so I was like, I, I think like Beyond Meat and Oatly and all of them are going to do great because people are going to just keep <laughs> eating that shit. And I was really wrong. I was super, super wrong. I would have made a lot of money if I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say when, when Oatly went public, it was $24. It is currently $1.26 after buy. going up 5% today. Let's buy. <laughs> what's, in the, uh, what's in the made you think ETF? So Oatly's in it, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Beyond Meat. Beyond Meat for sure. Yeah, Beyond Meat. Monsanto. Monsanto. <laughs> We're taking a long position uh, on Monsanto. Pfizer. Yeah, is there is there a way to invest in uh, DEI consulting companies? <laughs> Basically, we have to like hold these positions long until made you think it's big, and then we have to like rapidly sell as our word <laughs> against us. Yeah. Unload. This is not investment advice. What if we just launch a? Uh, AI crypto token called Think. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this many years ago. 
Yeah, the time is on, the time is almost right, <laughs> dude. These numbers for Oatly can't be right, but according to Yahoo Finance, the stock is a dollar twenty six. They lost forty seven cents per share in the last twelve Good months. <laughs> <laughs> that is that ratio is like crazy. Like they're probably close to not existing, not being in business. The brand probably somebody would buy it, like to just keep it going. But yeah. Yeah, the one thing that you said a little while ago when we were talking about the tech, like people not going into these fields, one area I have seen more interest in, uh, which is I think a, probably a good thing, is like nuclear energy. I feel like it's yeah. that's getting like a bit more prominent attention, which I, I think is awesome. It's like the first time I've seen. I don't know. I feel like I mean, this sounds again. There's probably a lot of bad quotes of us on this episode, but like I feel like in our working lives, like since we graduated from college you typically don't see like the smartest people, like the smartest people, you know, seem to go into like tech in one way, shape or form or finance is like the other area where you see some people go into, whether it's like hedge funds or like VC, you don't see a whole lot going anywhere else. And I think like recently I've seen more people at least thinking about energy, like nuclear energy, particularly. Yeah. Well, money and status, right? So now it has status. I don't know if it has money, but it has status. Yeah. I feel like we're entering a uh, a new like hardware age, you know? It was like all of the last like major basically like since the personal computer, you know, like shortly after it, we've been in like software eras, right? It was like computer and then phone and like web apps and all of those. And I feel like now there's just like a lot of exciting stuff going on with physical products again. Totally. What are you What are you thinking about? Oh, I'm just thinking like, okay, we've got SpaceX. It's like, okay, those are both these are both Elon companies, but like, you've got rockets, you've got electric cars, and everything related to that. You've got all of the like wearable tech. I think is getting better and better. You've got defense companies, right? Like Andreal. You've got other space companies, right? Like Varda and whatnot, doing like space drugs, which is mm. fucking cool. You know, you've got There's drones, trying. like yeah. delivery drones and all of those yep. things, right? You've got more 3D printing stuff that's sort of like been quietly gaining steam in the background. It could be getting more and more interesting. You've got all the nuclear stuff. You've got like a lot more solar deployment. Like if you look at the charts for solar deployment, it's just going almost like parabolic. It's like really, mm-hmm. really catching on pretty quickly, which I like, we, we talked about this in our, in our unrecorded like chill episode last week about how like, like climate change is probably just not even really a concern because some of this stuff is catching on so quickly and growing so quickly that like between solar deployment, carbon capture, nuclear development, like it, this might literally be not a problem anymore in 10 years, <laughs> which is wild to think. Well, about, but. what I worry about is then like, what are all the, what's the whole like industry built around the doom and gloom going to do? Mm-hmm. at that point like they've literally like built their careers on not solving the problem <laughs> dude they'll just switch to soil health or something right like yeah there there are plenty of other ways the world ends in the next hundred years it doesn't have yeah. to be climate change <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true i think i mean the the one startup that you found that was so interesting was the natural gas one it was like doing oh carbon God, capture so what was that called cool. terra yeah terraform industries yeah yeah they they pull CO2, they pull the carbon out of the carbon dioxide in the air and use solar energy to turn it into natural gas. And then... <laughs> Which is awesome. 
which is wild. And then they can burn the natural gas or they can transport it to where it needs to be burned. Uh, you know what's like the next leap from that then is like any company that burns any kind of fossil fuel, it just like do direct, like put the install this like directly in their facility. Totally. To then, yeah. yeah. To then just power the 100% facility. capture. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like, you know what that reminds me? It reminds me of like, there's all these like Bitcoin mining use cases that are actually not, they don't actually use energy. They're like yeah. actually features, flaring. not bugs. Hmm. Well, the flaring yeah, is yeah. the most prominent example one. There's a there's a sauna and bathhouse place that in New York City that uses Bitcoin mining oh, for all their heating, yeah, yeah. which is super cool. There's a there's a company that I I saw the other day that sells like space heaters that are also Bitcoin miners because it's like the heat That's is like cool. free basically, <laughs> right? It's like why? I mean, yeah, like why not? Yeah, can you send me that, Neil? Because I need a new space heater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll send you the link for it. I haven't used it for what it's worth. I've just saw somebody posting about it. Guys, this is how this is how we make Antarctica habitable. We just yeah. have like a giant compound heated by Bitcoin mining. <laughs> yeah, I guess where where I was going with this though is like any of these things that basically turn like a bug into a feature is I mean, that's yeah. exactly what this carbon capture stuff is. It's like you're literally taking like something that was viewed as not just a waste stream, you like literally had to pay for producing it because of carbon credits. Yeah. To now you're like, oh, this is not a waste stream. This is not something that's going to cost me money. This is like something that I'm literally going to make money off of. I really like imagining a future where we have a carbon shortage, like a CO2 yeah. shortage. So like plants start dying. And yeah. we're like, we need to pollute more. <laughs> <laughs> or, or no, then it's like, okay, okay, Nat, this is like a good premise for a fiction story. It's like, we solve global warming. We start using like carbon capture plus like solar plus wind. So all renewable sources nuclear nobody like we basically cease drilling for oil so nobody know and and two generations pass so like nobody knows how to how to drill for oil anymore but then there's too little co2 in the atmosphere and we have to like rediscover like how to pollute the atmosphere with co2 (laughs) it's like yeah back like centuries ago they used to do something called like fossil fuel burning for energy but they didn't capture the carbon they just let it float out into the atmosphere (laughs) You're like going through old schematics in the Smithsonian yep. <laughs> on like 1900s era oil rigs. Or like coal, like uh, coal based like steam engines. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you start getting carbon credits the other way, like the more carbon you like Very let out in the atmosphere. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you get paid by the government. <laughs> I love it. We really are three optimistic disembodied tech guys because the book ends with like yeah like we haven't solved any of this and our <laughs> whole conversation is premised on that we're we've solved it all it's like totally we're gonna no, to no, no. i don't think we've solved <laughs> no, it but i think what Matt is saying is like we are going to solve it like, I, 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 yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm actually more optimistic about solving like the climate change stuff than solving the nutrition and like uh, fertilizer stuff that one i actually and maybe i just don't know enough about it but i don't actually see a good solution at, for our population but it could also be he was making assumptions that like we didn't we don't know about you know like where he's saying it's not possible to feed this many people with the regenerative yeah. farming thing like maybe i don't maybe maybe he doesn't know enough about it maybe we don't know enough about it but like that one i didn't actually see like a or may, and I, maybe i just don't know an, enough about like the startups in the space or if there are people working on it but I don't really see like a great way out of it because the deal to your point, it's like which 80% of us are going to die. 
to yeah, I would, I would even solve that like, problem. Take it a minute further back, and I'm not even optimistic on the climate stuff because it's not. We're not talking about a snapshot like U.S., China, Europe reductions. It's like we also have India and like huge swaths of Africa that are developing very rapidly, and that's not like a five year process. It's going to be 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, but if it's cheaper to produce energy with one of these other means, why would they? Yeah, burn biomass, right? I think that's sort of the argument is that this is going to get to a point where it's cheaper to not pollute, right? Like, yeah, yeah. He does say a couple of things about that. Actually, I think it was yeah. uh, solar and wind is almost as easy to install as polluting alternatives. Yeah, yeah there are really some variables with that though that he he kind of glossed over, which are obviously those are like intermittent, but energy demand is not intermittent, right? Yeah. Like the production's intermittent, so then you need like large scale batteries as a secondary thing, which he talked a little bit about that. Yeah, they are easier to install, but then the the other thing is like the probably low-hanging fruit in terms of cheap land, at least in the US, for solar is probably mostly like not near population centers, maybe outside of like some parts of California yeah. and, and like Arizona and Texas, maybe parts of Texas is probably okay, but like East Coast is not necessarily a great like solar region. Yeah, we we have solar at our place, so I'm about to find out what it looks like <laughs> month over month, right? Yeah, but you're also just a residential, like a residential use case. Oh, like totally. industrial use cases just like But I'm still affected by crazy amounts of it. Right? Like Yeah, kind of. Be- it's like buying yeah. a Tesla. It like doesn't really make a difference like at the end of the um, day. Yeah. yeah that wasn't like what I, I, have- I was talking about like my intermittent access to that source oh, of Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're still connected to the grid. Like you can still buy electricity from the grid. It's got right? a hand crank. It's the solar panels and the <laughs> hand crank. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's but so like up to a bicycle. The, the uh the 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 thing that's like unfortunate is like residential and like personal use transportation is just like such a it's not a drop in the bucket, but it's like a small sliver of like the overall energy yeah. use. Like he brought that up in the book too, which is good. Like there's not really like a viable electric plane at the moment. Although I have seen some people talk about it, but I don't know if it's been proven out as like commercially viable. How much does the government invest into this stuff? Like, like companies like I don't know Helion, like the stuff that they're working on. Is there? Is the government? They do a lot. Like, no, they do a lot. I saw like uh, for fusion at least. I think there's been like well over a hundred million that the Department of Energy has given out in the last like year or so, or in that whatever that act was, that Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA or whatever that was signed. Hmm. That also had like yeah. a bunch of these subsidies in it. It was like a bunch. I saw there was Inflation like a reduction acts that increase spending. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> obviously that makes sense. That obviously you that know inflation. Yeah, you just gosh. don't know economics, man. <laughs> it says inflation reduction in the name. You can't lie about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I know I know they subsidized fusion in that. I don't know what they did for like other things. There's a lot of uh, energy stuff that got subsidized. In yeah. That. yeah, yeah. So that I think they happy. do spend. That was that was that was how Terraform got money. Oh, nice. interesting. Inflation yeah, Reduction yeah. Act also. Yeah, the Inflation Reduction Act is also the Carbon <laughs> Reduction Act. <laughs> you just got to think really long term. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. Maybe, maybe that's true. <laughs> yeah, I think like that's a, that's a good point of deal, like the government investing in it. I will say one thing that is once you learn more about like the oil like life cycle, like basically how it gets out of the ground to like what's involved in turning that oil to gasoline and putting it in your car, you realize actually electricity is probably the way more resilient and like, what's the right term for it? Like prepper material, yeah. like energy 
medium than gasoline. Yep. Like the gasoline infrastructure feels very uh, intricate and fragile because of how intricate it is. It's also comparatively very centralized. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's like pretty easy to get electricity. Like, well, easy. I mean, there's I'm sure it's complicated, but it feels like there's more steps and companies and like logistics involved in the gasoline. It would be more straightforward to have local electricity production. Yeah, which which is actually so you're I thought this is where you were going with the government question. Like it makes you wonder why the military doesn't invest a lot more in like decentralized energy production, because like if you think about it, like military vehicles and planes and tanks and stuff needing gas is probably a little bit less like resilient than if you could just. I mean, I, it's probably not a trivial problem. I'm sure I've thought about it, but like have decentralized energy production that you can like take with you. Yeah, I mean, submarines, right? Or submarines are the ultimate say, example of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like what he talked about in flying car, right? Like, yep. Yep. Imagine if we had just taken the submarine nuclear reactor a few steps further, like every car would just be, you know, be able to run forever. Dude, what if you had like a battery. nuclear powered, like a nuclear powered, like plane or something <laughs> like that'd be so cool. But although if it crashed, I don't know what the uh, deal would be with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the thrust would be the issue, right? Like, oh, yeah. You, Can you get enough? Well, theoretically, you should be able to. Right, yeah, I guess the submarine need to... wouldn't need as much, but the... Well, no, because yeah. I, I, I think the problem with electric planes is batteries. Like, you, the, the heavy of the battery heavy. is yep, too much. Yep. So yep. if you just had a nuclear reactor on a plane, then you wouldn't have that issue anymore. It would actually be better than gasoline, right? Hmm. Maybe? Yeah, because gasoline's so. heavy, too. Gasoline's really heavy, yeah. I know nothing. It depends on how heavy the nuclear reactor is. Let's right, ask chat GPT. <laughs> Can I put a nuclear reactor on a plane to power it? Dear ChatGPT, how do I put a nuke on a plane? Wow, the Air Force tried it. The NB-36H. Let's see what that's about. Oh, cool. See, we can work for the military, guys. It's hard. <laughs> the Convair NB-36H was an experimental aircraft that carried a nuclear reactor to test its protective radiation shielding. Oh, it did not use it to power the aircraft. Damn it, ChatGPT. Ah, <laughs> hallucinated again. Well, that's a bummer. All right, what else we cover from the book? I think we have to talk about how much diesel goes into a tomato. <laughs> oh yes. yeah, I loved that section. Okay, yeah. So a kilogram of chicken. So basically, he is articulating the crude oil consumption per pound of different things you eat uh, based on its entire life cycle. So from the moment it's born or planted until the minute it's on your plate. And the numbers, I wrote three of them down here. Uh, in first place, in terms of least, was a kilogram of chicken was 350 milliliters of crude oil. And tomatoes were 650 milliliters. And sardines were actually the worst of the things he gave in the book at 700 milliliters per kilogram. But it was interesting for the tomato one because it, basically he's using tomatoes as a stand-in for other produce and the environmental impact eating a kilogram of produce has in comparison to meat. Chicken is like one of the best things for the environment that you can eat. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. It would be cool to do like a more, and this is probably going to happen. I'm guessing over time, but like, it'd be cool if like companies could actually calculate this or maybe some independent body could calculate this for like different companies. Cause you always hear about like, I mean, like beef is pretty bad in general, according to what he was saying. But I know like when, you know, there's lo- like, if you buy it locally, it's a better environmental impact. And like, 
you know, there's all these things you can do like eggs locally versus eggs from like Costco might be like a very different environmental impact. Yeah. That, that is one of the things I've always heard about. Like it's sort of one of the, I mean, aside from the health benefits, one of the like feel good benefits to eating local is just the insane transportation reduction. Yeah. Right. It's like most of the stuff at Whole Foods comes from California. So all of that's getting shipped over here to Texas <laughs> for us to eat. Right. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. By the way, a deal. I was, I, so sardines were not the worst. It was the bigger fish. It was like, it, and, and like lobsters oh, like and tuna. shrimp and stuff. Yeah. yeah sardines yeah. were actually only a hundred milliliters per kilogram. Oh, okay. Really? That's sort of what I remember. Anchovies I, I and sardines. sardines were really low. Yeah. Yeah. It says capturing plentiful living near the surface species as anchovies and sardines or mackerel can be done with relatively small energy investment. The best accounts show energy expenditure as low as 100 milliliters per kilogram. Oh, I misread this. Yeah, the mean for all seafood is yes, stunningly high. 700, mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and shrimp, shrimp and lobster are 10 liters per kilogram, which includes a great deal of inedible shells. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's like criminally bad compared to everything else. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. That's wild. Two skewers of medium-sized wild sh- wild shrimp may require 0.5 to one liter of diesel fuel to catch. Ugh, that's wild. That is wild. Why do cows get such a bad rep? Like, I know the methane production is a big part of it, but like, has anyone measured that and compared it to this? I think part of it too is like chicken. Just like chickens eat like bugs, and like they can basically survive on like anything, like scrap grain. I've always they're mostly that. eating soybeans, though. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which are super cheap. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And cattle, like even if it's not grass, it's like even non grass, like non labeled grass fed beef, still is eating grass. They're just yeah. finished on grain. Yeah. So they're still eating a lot of grass. So I guess grass requires a lot of land, and like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what the other reasons behind that are. We visited a farm last weekend. Where it was all like free range, grass fed, grass finished, like the good stuff. And yep. it was wild how much land it takes. Like they were, yep. they were like huge parcels of like dozens, if not a couple hundred acres that they're now doing like their crop cover. And it's, you know, everything's vacated for the next however many months. Yeah. And chickens don't, chickens don't take very much land. They don't take much <laughs> land. All. And yeah. something kind of amusing from this trip was uh, those, these chickens were like so free range. They were like coming back. They're like, we want to be inside. Scary out here, dude. I was like, man, I'm going to buy my chickens here. Like, yeah. <laughs> dude, you got plenty of space for chickens. Why not just get some? Uh, it's, it's on the list. So we're starting, oh. we're starting modest. We're going to start with herbs and vegetables and fruit. And if we can discipline ourselves into keeping those things alive for a year or two, then we will move on to living things. Uh, but I what don't want to... What fruit can you grow there? I don't know. I haven't looked into it because it's the dead of winter, but it's, it's on my maybe list. Maybe like apples, I bet. There's definitely apples. do apples. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe pears. Yeah. 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 Also, blueberries grow pretty well in like northern climates. Blackberries, too, are often like yeah. a yeah. cold weather. What fruit can I? I guess grow? there would be good. Time. You probably do like some good squashes and stuff too. Looks like plums, apricots, yeah. blueberries, pears, cherries, grapes, apples, peaches, nectarines, peaches. figs. Yeah, right. I love. Yeah, you got a pretty good list. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna before I take on the responsibility of caring for real living things. Well, not that <laughs> plants aren't real living things, but you know, 
higher maintenance living things. On my list, in addition to the chickens, though, as part of like the three year plan, are goats because goats are awesome. Mm. But, goats are awesome. Yeah, <laughs> they will fuck your shit up, but they're awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. The one downside of the fruit, though, the other day, I don't remember if I told this to you guys. I was driving home and I saw a bear, like 200 meters from my house. Wow. <laughs> Just like tumbling into a field. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if I have fruit in the yard, we're definitely tempting fate there, but we'll they're, see. They're just black bears though, right? They're black bears, but they'll still kill the cats if the cats are outside. Oh, uh, true. Because the cats Ooh, will run away. I think Babu could fuck up a black bear. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he might. Archer's, Archer's got no chance. But. <laughs> She's had a good life. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about the food stuff, the one one thing he like planted a stake in the ground in like a interesting way was uh like he was like veganism is not better for the environment. Like he was yeah, like unequivocal about that. Which is which is like also the thing that's interesting to me about him is he's like pals with Bill Gates. But like so much of this book was like not at all what Bill Gates like Bill Gates like promotes his books. He promotes Vaclav Spiel's books. Like I heard about energy yeah. and civilization because of Bill Gates, like some reading list that Bill Gates had talked about. And like none of these ideas seem to gel with Bill Gates very well in terms of like the things that he's invested in, except for the farmland one. The farmland one is interesting. Bill Gates is like the biggest owner of farmland in the US. No shit. Wow. I had no idea. What What are the... He's the largest area? individual owner. Individual. Yeah, not not corporate. Yeah, yeah individual. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't have guessed that either, though. What is the... What's like the surface area of their disagreement? Uh, well, Bill Gates does well, promote Gates veganism. Is like he's an investor in... Yeah. yeah in, he's an investor in Impossible, I think, mm-hmm. or Beyond, one of the one two. Of those, yeah. And is like talks about it a lot, about how like meat is destroying the environment. So yeah, I guess it's sort of like to be fair, he is right that meat in general is bad for the environment, right? But it depends what you're replacing it with. Like if you're replacing it with like yeah. to salads from sweet green, yeah, yeah, that's the only option. If you're replacing it with grains, that's like better for the environment. No, if you're I'm replacing like, it replacing with like corn, I think it's worse for the environment, isn't it? Oh really? Okay, I thought he said like grain staples, and I was lumping corn as a grain, but I could be wrong. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you if you yeah. plant legumes and stuff instead of having grazing animals that might be better but i'm not sure yeah well he also said like wheat is pretty good um yeah rice is pretty good rice is good it seems like corn is one of the big problems yeah Yeah. but i guess if you're replacing your meat consumption with like bread and like rice okay yeah you're probably doing better on a crude oil equivalent ratio but are you are people actually doing that (laughs) or eating vegan it's also probably not the healthiest diet to switch from serious nutrient deficiencies yeah (laughs) Well, that was sort of like another one of the the health things is like if you like if you replace meat with non animal protein sources, you almost have to eat a calorie surplus, or else you have serious protein deficiency. Yeah, like because there's almost no other way to get enough bioavailable protein in your diet from unless you eat a lot of mushrooms. But like, mm-hmm. no, no vegan lives on mushrooms. <laughs> Are mushrooms high protein? They're decently high protein, and they're the only non-animal complete protein. Wow. Wow. That's great news. I love yeah. mushrooms. Yeah, so he's actually invested in Beyond and Impossible, by the way. Hmm. It's not just one. It's both. Yeah. your bets. Yeah. <laughs> both of which have not done well. <laughs> 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 
I never really understood the Bill Gates hysteria on either side, like the endless praise and the demonization. So I've just kind of stayed away from all of it. Like, how do you even know what, like, does he have like a newsletter? Does he have, did he write a book? Is there, should we do a Bill Gates book? I get all of my info about Bill Gates from Alex Jones. And he sounds like a pretty bad guy. <laughs> no way. No, I think they're okay. So like some of it, some of it is like fairly legit criticism. Like mm. uh, the Gates Foundation, for whatever reason, like obviously they have a trust like any foundation does. And like they put a lot of money into like Cargill and Monsanto. Then they obviously like there's like a lot of stuff they've done, which is like not great compared to like the stuff that he publicly talks about. Right. So it's, I think what I think what puts people on that one side of it off from him is like there's a lot of and I think this is like the Beyond Meat plus, you know, stuff like that Baklam Smeal talks about. Like there's a lot of, I guess, hip, maybe not hypocrisy, but like what's the right term for it? Like things that are like diametrically opposed to each other from what he says and what he does. I guess that's hypocrisy. hypocrisy. Yeah, that's yeah. hypocrisy. And then I think on the the like people that love him, I think they're applying like domain experience. And like, I think if he talks about something that's like computer related or tech related mm-hmm. i think taking him seriously makes a ton of sense like he doesn't look like the kind of person that like you'd want to take nutrition advice from mm-hmm. so yeah. it's like he just like talks a lot outside of his domain and then because of who he is he gets a lot of airplay but i don't think it's okay like if if he wasn't covered like if, if like the media just like didn't cover his like nutrition comments i don't really have a problem with him like i'm fine with him talking about tech i think he's sort of like the poster child for like rich and like yeah. educated, powerful people trying to tell the world how to live as if they like know so much better. Right. So I think that's what sets a lot of people off where it's like, Fair enough. yeah, it's like, Oh, you're going to tell me what I can and can't eat. And like, you know, politics and like, Oh, you're going to go into all these other countries and try to like fix them because you're so smart and whatever. Right. Like, I think people are just sort of against that kind of like ethos in general. And then you combine that with telling people not to eat meat and a few of those like third rails, Mm. you know, distributing vaccines and all that stuff that's going to set people off. Like probably makes me an easy target. If you guys are down, I I just, I'm on Wikipedia. He's written four books and how to avoid a climate disaster actually sounds pretty interesting. I'd be down to do an episode on this. Part four, the longest part of the book, analyzes currently available technologies that can be utilized now to adapt to and mitigate climate change and those areas where innovation is needed to make climate-friendly technologies cost-competitive with their fossil fuel counterparts. That does actually sound kind of interesting. Yeah. All right, let's add it to the list. It's 272 pages, so it'll be the shortest book we've read in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Or, guys, uh, Greta Thunberg also wrote a climate book. And <laughs> as a very educated and esteemed influencer in the climate space, <laughs> that is perhaps uh, where we should be getting our information from. Poor Greta. Poor Greta. <laughs> Too young. Yeah. Too no, young. I think I'd rather do the Gates book. I'd probably rather do the Gates book. Oh, man. Okay. I hope that's something else that comes out of the. I feel like I feel like that that was another like subtle era of bad decision making during during Zerp was like taking people in their teens and twenties seriously. Hmm. 
<laughs> you know, we had like Facebook and a few other companies that were started by very young people. And then we were like, oh, like people in their 20s should just be like running the world and like influencing everything. And like most people in their 20s are really dumb, like <laughs> myself included. Like we should not be influencing anything. <laughs> I don't know what the idea there was. Was it like a people will listen to the children, they haven't listened to the adults kind of a thing. But I just feel, I feel sorry for Greta because like her whole life this is going to follow her and, you know, she might not want it over her head after some time. Well, was I, she, feel like, like she, I feel like she, I feel like she just kind of got used. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah. 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 I'll add like one FTX. last thing on. FTX. Oh, go ahead. Oh, we don't have to go, go down this it. rabbit hole. I, I was just going to say like <laughs> oh, a lot no, of the crypto can. stuff, right? It's like, yeah, maybe like people in their twenties shouldn't be running like multi-billion dollar financial institutions. <laughs> like it's fucking stupid. <laughs> Who's left? Like Coinbase is left? Because now we've got... Dude, it's just Coinbase and Kraken, I guess. Gemini's sort of. Yeah. Is Gemini still around? Gemini's Gemini's still around because Earn was like a separate business entity. Mm. Like, it was was under their umbrella, but like, it was... the (laughs) Earn getting shafted didn't affect Gemini's main business. So like, they're still good. But man, it's really just Coinbase. That's scary. Although I, and Kraken, Kraken. I like. I always forget to give Kraken credit. They're actually a pretty big exchange, hmm. but they're just like they're like quiet, subtle, which is probably why they're still around. <laughs> I mean, Jesse's not that quiet on Twitter. He's pretty like opinionated, but they like don't seem to ever get into trouble or do anything shady. So it's good. Oh, Kraken really improved their whole brand vibe. I used to avoid them because they felt sketch, but now they look yeah, very yeah. Cool. They look like well, they know they're one of the two remaining people. So seriously, yeah. Oh, they look very friendly. Okay. Do you see room for like another one coming now that there's been such a yeah? Well, actually, I think I I don't think there'll be another big like crypto. I mean, there'll probably be like a couple other big crypto exchanges, but I think it's just going to be that you'll be able to buy most of this stuff through JP Morgan and or through chase and through mm. wells fargo and like all of that right it's just going to be in your account like it'll just be bitcoin and eth and like usdc to start but they'll add other major stuff and then if you want non-majors you'll go to coinbase or whatnot but and then the etfs for the yeah private bitcoin yeah. and ETH etfs dude the, the the last hurdle on the etf got resolved this morning or last oh, night did? with blackrock oh, wow. yeah so it could it could literally be like a week or two when it comes out, just crazy. And then I think there's sixty days till the uh, t- like I think it's sixty days till the ETF actually goes in live. I think there's some Something kind of like waiting that. period. There's some so, kind of waiting uh, period. I don't know if it's sixty. It could be less. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. Yeah. What's interesting though is like in that waiting period, there would be a lot of people trying to like get ahead of it and like accumulate, right? But like. Because I guess like because those ETFs actually have to hold it, right? Is like what it is. It's not yeah. just tracking the price. They actually have to hold the asset. Yeah. But then I guess it's like people will be trying to basically model what the demand will be in the ETF because that will be the buying pressure later on. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's hard to say how much of that's already priced in. Like certainly some of it, but. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know how much. It's like very hard to know what that is. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting here. I'm excited. I'd like it's the number time perfectly with the book. Yeah, time. <laughs> the book is gonna come out at like peak FOMO starting to set in. Everybody who didn't buy after listening to this podcast is gonna see everything at new all time highs. 
Dude, that's no, gonna be that is like ultimately like that, <laughs> all the stuff you do on marketing would just be dwarfed by if there's a bull bull run. Like you will, you like yeah. won't have to do anything. Yeah, just be like, well, oh, this I'll, is yeah, <laughs> this is just the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now the question is like, how do we create a bull run? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> At this point, it feels like we just wait. Yeah, we don't have to do much. Yeah. <sighs> Don't say it out loud, man. No, no, no. <laughs> well, we can't really start a bull run. I don't know how like you, us three on this podcast, start a bull run. Yeah, oh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, for that. Don't don't say don't we're getting it. it for free. Don't the superstition in me is kicking in. <laughs> don't I thought you were rational, deal. <laughs> for all except crypto. Uh, I mean, we're never selling it, so no. <laughs> that's our new Patreon, by the way. <laughs> Do you guys? Uh, follow the white pill by pirate wires no no what is it's that? really I good pirate wires, but I, go ahead. it's a weekly on like exciting optimistic developments in like engineering tech science so on it's not just tech though it's also like hard engineering and it's great i think yeah they just paywalled it this week unfortunately but a lot of the old stuff is still up did they actually end up paywalling the new stuff? I'll check. But it's really good. I'd be curious if you guys have, if you check it out, if you have any similar things that you follow. Because like Neil, what you were saying earlier around like the US government investment, like I had no idea because nothing good ever gets covered. And that yeah. really, honestly, like kind of brought up my mood. I'm like, okay, great. Like we're still in the game. Yeah. And I would love to get like a drip of that kind of news. Instead of more photos of wow, I just I found I, I was actually wrong on the amount, dude. The amount that the U.S. has invested. This article is from July thirteenth, twenty twenty three. It said the U.S. government has invested, or is this from the U.S. government or is this overall? Anyway, it's six point two one billion dollars. I don't wow. know if it's all okay. U.S. government funding, less than what we had. Uh, what we had thought. No, significantly, significantly more. Oh, I thought you said it was a hundred billion no no i said 100 million ah okay i said 100 million yeah i see there's an article from around the same time frame it says doe announces 46 million for commercial fusion development energy development it looks like it's the milestone that they're getting paid for is demonstrating fusion yeah also what was i smoking earlier 100 billion would have been insane i should yeah. the minute <laughs> oh, i heard oh, that i should have been like <laughs> Uh, you know, I clearly didn't process it. But yeah, if you guys have stuff similar to White Pill, I'd be curious to... We should send those links around. That's the kind of news I want to be reading. Yeah. Do you... Packy has this new thing, Age of Miracles. Oh, yeah. That's that? a podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. I haven't I've, listened yet. I haven't listened to it or checked it out, but um, it seems like he's doing that same thing where it's like, uh, here's all the like good news going on in the world with oh, tech specifically, that. which... Yeah, we do need more of. I wonder where my head would be at if that was all I consumed for like a month. Probably in a good place. Pretty positive. <laughs> yeah. Just start singing on Made You Think. Just cheer. There is a... I didn't even know about this. This is the State Department wrote a memo on December 2nd, like a couple weeks ago, basically, saying that they want to triple nuclear energy they're like it's like a national security interest to triple nuclear energy production in the u.s okay it is <laughs> yeah that's great yeah it is <laughs> and they're calling on other countries to join this declaration wow 
why did that not make the news? That's like a pretty big, like, honestly, statement. I'm almost glad it didn't because I just feel like nuclear's image is in such dire need of rehab that any investment in it pre image rehab is just going to be polarizing. I'm like, just build the reactor. What, like. <laughs> what is the image? What is the image rehab though? Like, how is that done? Like, how would that be done? I guess a movie or something like <laughs> i don't know it'd be a really boring movie like oh there's a new yeah. reactor nothing happens the kids are on their bikes <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's the, that's the problem right it's like yeah. yeah i mean it's like chernobyl was such a good show but i can only imagine the amount of damage that did i didn't watch it out of principle awesome. i'm just i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i didn't watch it not because of that i just haven't gotten around to it i've heard good things though it is quite good. It's quite good. Yeah. I do like that idea in general, though, that there needs to be more, like, positive sci-fi, you know? Like... Yeah. Stuff that is pro-technology or, like, pro-progress. Although it's kind of like... Not like dystopia. I was thinking about it. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's actually kind of a hard thing to do because typically technolo- the technology is, like, a core part of the conflict in science fiction. So, like, how do you... You'd have to like have a completely different conflict in a futuristic setting, right? Yeah. All the futurism has to be like totally incidental. It's actually like a romance. Yeah, could be set. In yeah, it's actually. Era. Yeah, yeah, it's that a, would be. It's a, it's a murder mystery on a flight to Mars. Okay, that's actually kind of a good premise, right? Oh but, yeah, it's like the Orient Express, but in space. Yeah, yeah, and then you get to like talk about all the cool Mars stuff without it like being bad. Yeah. Looking at you, Nat, as the resident fiction author. I know. <laughs> well, actually, you know, did you guys read Project Hail Mary? No, you've mentioned that so many times, though. I need to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sitting it's really in my good. Kindle. This isn't a spoiler, but like, it's a po- it's positive sci-fi with a mm. conflict. Hmm. Like, like the the conflict is like existential. It's like Earth's destruction, and then like all of the science around it is like very positive. You know, it's like, it wasn't something that humans screwed up, right? It was like a, like quasi, it was like an environmental-esque threat. And then you're like sciencing your way out of it. Like, it's a good, the Martian's kind of like that too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we work it on the list. What is coming up next? So we have Zen. Zen, then we have Straw Dogs. Straw Dogs. It's a good fucking list. It's a good lineup. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to lobby. We should do, uh, maybe we don't do Nick Bostrom. After our conversation on optimism, <laughs> it's like one of the most depressing papers I've ever read. <laughs> You've re- read uh, Superintelligence, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't I you do Superintelligence? Oh, okay. We didn't cover it on the on the podcast, but I was gonna say I read it like okay. so many years ago when AI was yeah, just a, a long distant, time ago. Yeah, it was just like a distant possibility. I wonder, like rereading it, what it would feel like. Yeah, mm-hmm. not I feel like it was very negative, though. On AI, but I, I could be also just like misremembering. It was so many years ago. Like I probably was 2016 or 17 when I read it. I haven't read it. I, I can only imagine you've not read it. The source of nightmares. <laughs> yeah, he's very uh, paper clippy. I think. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's actually like the least that that one resonates least with me of the various nightmare scenarios. But maybe I got to pick up the book. I'm surprised he wrote a book because like his I've only I've never read one of his books, but I've read I think 
three of his papers. And he's very concise. In like 15 pages, he expresses a lot of ideas. So I wonder, like, is for that book, did you guys feel like it was it was like publisher length or was it was it worth reading? Dude, it's dense. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. It is not a quick or easy read. Jeez. Maybe he refined his concision after writing this. <laughs> It is, I mean, like, we were talking about this before we hit record, but that vulnerable world hypothesis paper, like, I don't know, ever since you mentioned that, deal, it's kind of been, like, percolating in the back of my back of my head. Like, we really don't think about the impact of a lot of, like, new technologies sometimes. Like, there's all these stories from, like, around the time the nuke was invented to where we just, like, dropped nukes on U.S. soil and, like just for testing purposes and like <laughs> see what happens. Like it just doesn't seem like we really understand. And sometimes we did it underground, which like, who knows? Like we, yeah. I mean, now you think about it, you're like, wow, what if that caused like an earthquake or something? Yeah. Like yeah. no freaking idea what the long-term effect of that would be. Um, there's a story, there's a book called, uh, okay. I'll have to dig up what the book is. Dan Carlin did a, one of his episodes based on, on that book, but it's basically about like the history of nuclear weapons. Hmm. And one of the stories in that book is batshit crazy. Basically, like the US was flying a a bomber over the U. It was like a bomber moving from one airbase to another oh, yeah. within the continental US. Yeah, and it dropped a dropped armed nuke in North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but dude, it didn't lost. go off. We lost it didn't a few go of them along the way too, didn't we? No, we've we've lost a few, but this was an armed nuke that got dropped on like so U.S. soil, like in a populated area, and it just somehow didn't go off and like did not get detonated. Miracle, <laughs> a literal miracle. Yeah, it sucks that these colossal uh, tech leaps somehow align themselves with global conflicts, like. Yeah. Sorry, it was not dropped. I to correct myself, the plane crashed hmm. and it oh, was okay. carrying two 3.8 megaton uh nuclear bombs. But they were armed. Yes, and the plane broke up in midair, dropping its nuclear payload in the process. Absurd. Out of the there were a lot of uh crew members on the plane, five successfully ejected, another ejected but did not survive the landing and two died in the crash. Damn. Wow. So information declassified in 2013 showed that one of the bombs was judged by nuclear weapons engineers to have only been one safety away from detonation and that it was extremely credible to imagine conditions under which it could have detonated. Yeah, just to make sure I'm using the word armed correctly, like that that means like all that's left to do is drop it or is there anything else? No, I think there's some safeties that are on it. Like there's certain safety switches that have to be. What's the word? I think it looks like all but one failed. Okay. What's the word for yeah. when it's armed and all the safeties are off? Because I thought that was the word. I don't know. Okay, I thought that was what armed meant. How do they move them, though? Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, if you have to move a nuke from like one location to another, like what do you do? Do you ship it? Like <laughs> call up FedEx? <laughs> I feel like USPS. Try not to move yeah. them. <laughs> huh? Try not to move it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but I imagine that's like a fairly regu- like normal thing, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To have to move it? Yeah. Like, what is actually, if you think about it, what is the best method? Because if you take it by road, like, things happen on the road. Trains, things happen to trains. To get it to the train, you probably got to move it by road anyway. Planes, obviously, stuff can happen. Yeah, actually, it's not a simple problem. 
I'm taking a look. I remember in high school reading about the phrase for it. I don't know if this is like a technical phrase, but it was Russian loose nukes. Mm. I don't remember the numbers around it, but basically like the collapse of the Soviet Union was massive cause for alarm because they have like 5,500 nukes. Oh, yeah. Before its collapse in 1991, the Soviet Union had more than 27,000 nuclear weapons. Wow. Wow. And enough weapons-grade plutonium and uranium to triple that number. Wow. That is horrible. I I, I remember reading something. Haven't we disassembled like 80% or 70% or something of all the nukes that were developed during that period? It's some really impressive number. Um, as of 2023, Russia has the largest stockpile in the world with 5,800 and the U.S. Okay. with 5,400. So, yeah, what you're saying sounds like it's true. It's pretty cool. This is great. I mean, it's more than enough yeah. to destroy everything, but at least <laughs> it's a step in the right direction. It's a step in the right direction, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's another really good Dan Carlin episode, by the way, with uh, JFK and I'm going to embarrass myself and forget his Russian counterpart. Was it Khrushchev? Who was the Soviet leader during I so. JFK? I think it's Khrushchev. Think so. anyway, right. yeah. we'll, uh, we'll find it, put in the notes. But the, the episode on the Cuban Missile Crisis is excellent. And what Dan Carlin does so well, in general in all of his episodes, but especially in this one, is he tells it as if you're like watching it in a film, not knowing what the next step will be. And at each, yep. at each point in the history, he only presents the information that the characters knew at the time. So it's like so cool. suspenseful. It's a long episode. It's like a couple hours, but it's excellent. We should put it in the uh, in the notes. If you guys haven't listened to it, it's yeah, it's like an action movie. It's but it's horrifying because it's true. Things were close. So two more things on this like lost or this uh, nuclear bomber accident. One, they never found half of the second bomb. It was it like fell into some mud, and basically what they did is. Uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers basically purchased the land around where they know it is, but they think it's like buried below. Se- it, they dug down to 70 feet and they're like, they think it's like below that even. So they just purchased the land. They still have not located it. Sorry. So the idea is that it was the bomb broke. The bomb broke. Okay. So it's it says not- the primary was recovered. It says weapon t- one was recovered fully intact and without any loss of nuclear material. Weapon two broke into pieces on its impact and EOD technicians spent several days attempting to recover its pieces from the deep mud. The primary of the weapon was recovered on January 30th, six days after the accident at a depth of 20 feet. It's high explosives had not detonated and it's, and some had crumbled out of the warhead by February 16th. So this is another like two weeks, more than two weeks later, the excavation was down to 70 feet and had still not located the secondary component of the weapon. Excavation of the second bomb, including its secondary, was eventually abandoned, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers purchased a 120-meter diameter circular easement over the buried component. So they like are pretty sure it's down there, but they just like never got it. That's wild. <laughs> and basically, what stopped it from detonating was a lanyard pin <laughs> that did not go off. So basically, afterwards. There was an analysis by uh, Sandia National Lab engineers that concluded that while both weapons were in the safe switch arming and or sorry, non-armed safe switch mode, the lanyard control pin 
cannot be relied upon to prevent initiation of the fusing sequence in this kind of plane crash. And they recommended a modification as rapidly as possible to prevent this from ever happening, which they did right <laughs> after. So <laughs> I love that. Yeah, let's change it because this this was almost really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. It's also it does make you wonder, like, how does how has this not happened in the history of of uh, nuclear weapons, though? Like, yeah, it might not have happened in the U.S. one, but like, what about Russia? What about like any other country that possesses nuclear weapons? Yeah, that is actually a good question. It I must actually be pretty hard to set one of these things off. Yeah. yeah. I go back and forth between we have extreme incompetence and extreme competence. And I right. That's what I'm thinking. It's like, that's, an argument, <laughs> that's an argument for extreme competence, right? Like that this has never happened in any country on Earth, as far as we know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, it's kind of amazing, actually. Yeah. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, I would say the probably the more, well... Okay, here's the question. Like, if it had happened, let's say, in, like, Russia, would you know? Is there I was thinking that, too. There could have... I guess it is it is such a big... You would know, I, I guess. You? Probably. I don't know. We must have some sort of detection thing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We should Google this, but I, I just I can't imagine yeah. not knowing, right? There's so much... Yeah, involved. right. Yeah. Well, I'm saying now we might know with like how much like satellite infrastructure we have, yeah. but I wonder if it happened in like because this was 1961, like mm-hmm. probably wasn't a ton of satellite infrastructure at that point. Like, I wonder if it had happened in like the early years of nukes. Like, would we have known? Okay, so I was checking what year was Sputnik. It was 1957. So yeah, in four years in 61, there was not going to be nearly enough satellite infrastructure to do any of this. Yeah. Well, all right. What do we plug in? Pick up a copy of Crypto Confidential. Yes. Tell a friend about right Made now. You Think. Read you three think? chapters of this book. Yeah. Or skim skim <laughs> a few of the chapters, at least. There yeah. is some interesting ideas in here that are worth checking out. Yeah. I didn't check out Inter- Energy and Civilization. That was Spotify yeah. did its wrapped for podcasters. And like one of the cool things was that for some reason on Spotify, you guys really like the Energy and Civilization episode. It was listened to, I think, 300% more than the average number of listens on a Spotify episode wow. that we have. So it's pretty good. Yeah. It's a, it's, I think that was a really good book, too. Like, he's a he's a good writer. And just in this one, he, I don't know. I would not recommend this book, but I probably would not say this is his best by any means. Yeah. yeah I would read, if you're going for broad and uh, high level, I'd go for Where's My Flying Car before this. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah, leave a review, please. Those help a lot. A lot of people left reviews this year, which is nice. Keep coming. Leave a comment on Spotify. Those are kind of cool. It's cool to see yeah. what, what people think. All right. Good work, team. Good work, team. See you next see time. You guys see you guys soon.